0: Welcome to the First Step Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Feltz, here in Bloomington, Indiana, getting ready for week nine of Big Ten football should be an exciting one, a couple of big matchups, and the Sickos Game of the Week to end all Sickos Game of the Weeks. Plus, in the second half of this show, we bring on a longtime friend of the program and a guest we've been wanting to bring back forever, Seth Engel, who we've known for years at this point. He covers Penn State football at the Daily Collegian in State College. He's a great friend of ours, a wonderful podcast guest and somebody who I'm sure you'll love our conversation with. We're going to talk all things Ohio State, Penn State with him. Spoiler alert, it's our game of the week. And on the other side of that game, here to talk all of that too, alongside me, as always, on the campus of the Ohio State University in Columbus, Ohio, it's Reed Murray. Reed, what's going on? Hey,
1: Patrick, doing great over here. And a reminder, everybody, check me out tomorrow, or I guess today, if you listen to this on Friday, Friday night, number one versus number two NCAA women's hockey between Minnesota and Ohio State on Scarlet and Gray Sports Radio, 6 p.m. Check me out. I'm on the mic.
0: Absolutely. Give him a listen. How how could you not listen to Reed Murray on the radio? You're missing out if you don't do it. I know I'll be listening if I've got time on my hands, and I think I should. So no no guarantees, RJM, but uh, I will try my very best. Let's get into some football, though, Reed. Enough women's hockey and enough waffling on this intro. Reed, we've got a pretty good slate this week, all things considered. A couple of big games, a couple of rivalries. It's a little mini rivalry week. Two, two games, one Ohio State fans wouldn't call rivalry and one that Michigan fans would call their little brother game and not a real rivalry but still two exciting ones, and we'll talk about those later. But, read the game I want to talk about first as we get into our first segment here, what to watch for, I am watching for dangerously low scores, potentially the lowest scoring game in the history of college football, maybe, <laughs> at least according to Vegas. The 31 and 31.5 over-under is the lowest ever recorded. Ladies and gentlemen, we're talking about the 330 game on ESPN2, it's Northwestern, it's Iowa. That over-under is actually up to 37 and a half, but it opened at 31 and a half, the lowest ever. And honestly, it wouldn't surprise me if it stayed there. In my head, it's still going to be there because that's just such a striking figure. Point proven regardless. This is going to be a low-scoring game. It's going to be a disgusting game. These two teams are borderline unwatchable. Reed, how are we going to get through this one as a society?
1: Um. I don't even know if I can answer that question. What does we, this uh, say for the broader channel American, flipping I guess
0: What does this say for the broader American public that in the year 2022 we have to watch these two teams play this type of football? What does this say about our society?
1: <laughs> it says it, it makes says we're a ask, downward trending society It
0: makes me ask broad wide sweeping questions about the direction of our nation now that we have to watch Iowa and Northwestern play this brand of football. it's it's wrong. It goes against everything I believe in. I can't believe that th- these two teams would just be an affront to humanity on the offensive side of the football. I, I-, I said this term last week. This isn't going to be offense, Reed. This is going to be 11 players who have the football, but it's not offense. I think this is going to be one of the worst games of all time. And for that, I'm kind of excited because bad college football is a lot better than bad NFL and the fact that sometimes it can be really entertaining watching the teams screw up one time after another. Read. I can't wait to watch this game in the worst way possible.
1: Yeah, no doubt this is going to be our sickos game. But going back to my what to watch for, I'm saying let's watch for Michigan rival motivation. This is something that we've seen uh, in Michigan rivalry games a lot in the past where, um, you know, Ohio State, obviously, there have been instances specifically in 2018 when Ohio State was the number 10 team in the country. Michigan was number four. Ohio State comes in and plays the games of their lives. Uh, the game of their lives, excuse me, and uh, and knocks Michigan out of the park. We've also seen instances of Michigan State where Michigan State is the worst team and they still come out with a victory. I would say that was the case last season. I think Michigan was better than Michigan State. And, uh, you know, Michigan State, of course, came out away with that win. 2020, a Rocky Lombardi led Michigan State team that was just <laughs> astonishingly bad uh, in, in our eyes when that game took place. They go into the big house and granted, Michigan was having an off year, but. You know, they take down a Michigan team that I would argue was better than them. Um, I think this year, no doubt, Michigan is the better team than Michigan State. But Michigan does tend to struggle with rivals. um, And I think we could see a little bit of magic going on there.
0: It's a thing. Uh, Remember the name Ricky White? Remember him? No, Reed doesn't remember the name Ricky White. In that 2020 game you brought up about Michigan State and Michigan, Ricky White, a true freshman who – Had never really played before and hasn't played since. Had eight catches for 196 yards and a touchdown. He absolutely lit Michigan up in that game. And that's always going to be one of my favorite trivia questions. Just like the most obscure player ever absolutely destroying Michigan and then disappearing into obscurity forever. That's a trend in this Michigan State-Michigan series. That's a true Spartan right there. That's so Michigan State of Michigan State because – Sometimes it feels like Michigan State's only purpose in the Big Ten is to be a thorn in Michigan's side in the stupidest way possible. You've seen it with trouble with the snap. Honestly, you saw it last season with Kenneth Walker just doing godlike things against Michigan in every single facet of running the football. You could do everything. You don't need me to gush about Kenneth Walker again. We did it on the show enough last year. And if you listen to me on the Tommy Divine podcast, you heard me do it when I was talking about his NFL performance for the Seahawks this week. So that's just so Michigan state of them to find a way to win in a weird way that nobody expects. And to to make Michigan pissed off, Michigan state has dominated this game in recent years, maybe not dominated, but Michigan state leads the series over the past 10 years, the past 15 years, Michigan state's been the better team. They've been the big brother in the state of Michigan. Sorry, Wolverine fans, but you know, numbers are numbers. Reed, I I, I think we're going to get into this later as we do our game predictions, but even though this isn't a particularly good Michigan State team, I'm not going to count them out. We will get into it later, though, once we get into our predictions.
1: Agreed. Uh, Real quick, second, uh, what to watch for. This will be my, my last one. This is going to be what it. to watch for kind of weeks this is, it's going to be for this weekend, many weeks, is the Jackson Smith and Jigba pitch count. That's what Ryan Day has been calling it in his press conferences. Um, there was, there was some speculation in the Iowa game. People mainly online were saying that it looked like JSN got hurt. He said, no, he was simply on a pitch count. Uh, he's only getting a certain number of plays. I wonder, you know, how much action he's going to get against Penn state versus how much he got against Iowa. And I think in the next few weeks, we're going to kind of see what his role with his team is going to be moving forward. Cause there was some speculation mm-hmm. he wouldn't come back at all. He clearly is back. He did suit up for the team last week. Going to be interested to see how he will look against a strong defense in a really important game for Ohio State.
0: Absolutely well, Reed. I think that's something worth mentioning. We'll talk about Ohio State and Penn State later on in this podcast. I know we both have a lot of thoughts, and we're excited to share them with Seth in the second half of this show. Moving on from our what to watch for into our uniform matchup of the week, Reed, this is a pretty easy one for me, and it's that game you just talked about, Ohio State, Penn State. Two iconic programs, two iconic uniforms. It's hard not to get chills and to get excited when you see these two teams matching up. You see those two beautiful uniform sets. Classic, timeless. One more can you even say?
1: Yeah, I would say there there are certain games where I feel like one team wearing the home uniform and the other team wearing the away uniform feels more right. And for me, Penn State wearing the blue and Ohio State wearing the white feels more right. Mm-hmm. Uh, So this is this one I look forward to. But for me, I'm actually going a different direction. I have to say Northwestern Iowa because I always talk about how much I love the Northwestern uniforms and Iowa has one of my favorite sets as well. So it's hard for me to pick against that one. Uh, I'm going aesthetics over um, page or over, you know, tradition and, um, you know, symbolism. Got to go with the Wildcats and the Hawkeyes. So it it will be an aesthetically beautiful game of football. But in terms of the actual football being played, it it will be a little bit a little bit hard to watch.
0: I like it, Reed. Fun one to mention there. Okay, our Sickos game of the week, we talked about it already. It's Iowa-Northwestern. Reed, do you have any more thoughts on this game? I think I touched on everything I have to say. I mean, there's there's no need to, you know,
1: beat the dead horse with the uh, Northwestern and Iowa aren't good at offense. uh, Yeah, who would have thought? uh... Can you believe
0: that? Iowa can't field a good offense in 2022? What? Huh? Unheard of. Unheard of, indeed. Who who would have thought? But uh, we we kind of got to the crux of this last week, um, or earlier in this week, excuse me, on our last episode when we talked about just how much the Iowa offense has changed with that Tyler Goodson. Yeah, it's tough to watch. Northwestern's equally tough to watch. This is a Northwestern team that scored five, seven points off of five turnovers against Penn State last month. Tells you everything you need to know. So, really, I'm not, uh, I'm not looking forward to watching this one. I know you're not at least in the traditional sense of it in a sort of can't look away from it like a car crash sense. I am a little excited because I think it's a one of a kind football game and that is worth something. (laughs) I don't know what it's worth, but it's worth something. All right, read. We're going to take a quick break here, but after that, we will give you our score predictions for every other game in the big 10 this week. Stay tuned and we'll see you in a second back here in the first and 10 ready to get into our score predictions for big 10 football this week we'll give you predictions for every game except penn state ohio state that is our game of the week you will hear that at the end of the show with our good friend seth engel who joins us once again so reed ignoring that one which is the 12 p.m big noon kickoff on fox game no other big 10 games in the noon slate we start at 2:30 eastern time 1:30 central on btn it's minnesota it's rutgers a pair of four and three teams trending in different directions right now gophers still 14 point favorites at home reed you think the gophers get it done
1: yeah i mean i think as much as we've seen minnesota struggle in recent weeks um i, I don't think rutgers is going to pose too big of a challenge for them no i also don't think minnesota is going to blow them out i'm going minnesota 28 10 but i think the gophers just absolutely take care of business here
0: i agree with you reed i, I think minnesota just has to figure something out there are a more talented football team. They're a better coach football team. They're a better football team, period, than Rutgers is. And they're at home. Frankly, if Minnesota loses this game, this will raise even more questions about them than last week's loss to Penn State did. This is a game Minnesota can't afford to lose, whether it's for bowl eligibility right now or honestly for future security of the program and, and talking about P.J. Fleck's position as the Minnesota head coach, because you lose this game, you're trending towards, all right, With four games to play, you're 500, and you're just as likely to go bowling as you are to sit home on your couch. So, really, this is a must-win game for Minnesota if they want to get to the type of bowl that they think they can get to and that a couple weeks ago they thought they would be able to get to. This is going to tell us a lot about the fight this team has, the resiliency this team has. I think they get it done. My prediction is 27-13. I believe the Gophers win here by 2 Touchdowns. Reed getting into our next game here. A 330 kick on ABC. Illinois headed to Nebraska, the six and one Illini winners of five consecutive games, headed to take on the Huskers. Illinois favored by seven and a half on the road. But Reed, I weirdly think this is a closer game than people are saying. And there's a part of me that thinks that this Nebraska team that can put up a lot of points and did put up a lot of points two weeks ago against Purdue and against a good Purdue team, this Nebraska team has a decent shot of winning this game. I think that, but Illinois has had Nebraska's number for a little bit. That's the two things that separate me. Nebraska's not playing terrible football, which is an improvement. Nebraska also, I think, is – or maybe not Nebraska is due, but Illinois is due to fall back down to earth at some point. I don't know if this is the week Illinois falls back down to earth. I know they will eventually. I'm not going to predict it this week, but there's a part of me that wants to. I think Nebraska has a very real shot to win this game. Do not be surprised if Nebraska wins. I'm going to tell you right now. Do not be surprised if Nebraska wins. However, my prediction is going to be Illinois 24, Nebraska 21. I think this is a tight one, right.
1: I'm thinking the exact same thing. I'm saying Illini 28, Huskers 23. I think close game. I think. Can you believe that absolutely. Nebraska
0: losing a close game? exactly yeah i
1: think uh (laughs) yeah i i kind of agree with everything you said there i I would not be surprised by a nebraska win at all but i think whether illinois is i think they're going to win they're going to rise three spots in the rankings they're going to be sitting way higher than they need to be and when they do fall down to earth um people are going to be really disappointed i i i just don't think nebraska has it in them to, to to knock illinois uh down a peg i think they they have it in them to Maybe, you know, put some eyeball emojis on the game, but Mm -hmm. don't think they finish out the job. I it's possible.
0: One of of these next three games between Nebraska, Michigan State, and Purdue for Illinois, I think they fall back down to earth before getting sent into oblivion by Michigan in the second-to-last game of the season. Mm -hmm. All right, but for now, Illinois is riding high. Enjoy it while you can, Illini fans. Believe me, it goes quicker than you think. Been there. But hey, if anyone would
1: know, it is you.
0: It is me. Yeah. (laughs) Enjoy it while you can, Illinois football fans, because uh, it's here and it's gone. Usually. Maybe Illinois can be the exception and make it last. A team that had a similar success to Illinois for a few years and has now not made it last. Northwestern. They're playing Iowa this week. Read the big question. 330 kick ESPN two. Iowa favored by 11. Will anybody score a touchdown? Is eleven the the spread for Illinois for Iowa to cover, or is eleven the over under? That's my question. Uh, do you see a touchdown in this game, Reed? I know that's a stupid question, but I see two touchdowns, and they're
1: both for for Iowa. I'm saying seventeen to nine, Iowa.
0: I'm seeing two touchdowns for Iowa too. I think they're both on defense. Fourteen to three, Iowa is my pre- prediction. Northwestern wins the game if only offensive points counted. But if you count special teams, defense, all that stuff, I think Iowa wins. Obviously, that's how football is played. Give me Iowa here, 14 to 3. The game is just as gross as you think it will be. Last Big Ten game here for us pr- to predict. It's Paul Bunyan. Wait, Paul Bunyan, what am I? This is Paul Bunyan, correct? I, I didn't say the wrong yeah. thing.
1: There's the Paul Bunyan's axe, which is Minnesota. I was about it was to call it the axe. The Paul, Bun- that's Paul, Bunyan Bunyan what Paul Bunyan trophy.
0: Paul Bunyan trophy. If we had a nickel for every Paul Bunyan game we had to cover in this conference, two nickels, which isn't a lot. Which isn't a lot. But it's weird that it happened twice. Paul Bunyan trophy, you know it. Michigan State, I almost said Minnesota. I'm, I'm crossing my streams here, Reed, confusing myself. Michigan State, Michigan. 730 ABC, big one in the big house. Michigan, 22 and a half point favorites, Read, I think that spreads way too high. I really think that Michigan State's going to make this a competitive game. Not because Michigan State's anywhere near the same level of team, same caliber of program right now that Michigan is, but because Michigan State has had their number. And if I learned anything from predicting the Wisconsin-Purdue game last week, look at trends. And the trend for Michigan State-Michigan isn't quite as obvious. And Michigan's due for a win. I'm going to predict Michigan to win. But this is going to be a close game. It always is. This is going to be competitive, this is going to be fun, it's going to be thrilling. I like Michigan here 31-27 over Michigan State at home. I have it close,
1: it's not quite as close as you do. I'm saying 38-17. Um I think the game kind of trends in a similar way, but I I do think Michigan is just too good of a team close to for a not kind of break away. And then Michigan yeah, away. I feel like we so we say like, that about kind of like Michigan's so game games, against
0: yeah. Indiana.
1: Pretty much. Yeah. Um, and what I'll also say about this game, the Paul Bunyan trophy is my favorite trophy in the big 10. It's I think <laughs> I, what, it's a fun trophy. What I love about it is when they throw the helmet of the winning team on the trophy. I think that's just so cool. I think if they didn't do that, it probably wouldn't be, um, my favorite trophy in the Big Ten, but I I think that's such a fun thing to do, and it's a way to really you know shove it in your in your opponent's face. I think that's such a fun tradition with that trophy. Uh, so had to give a quick shout out to uh my favorite trophy in this conference, even though it is with one school that's a rival of my school and another that my school doesn't love. Um, it's it's a great trophy, love it.
0: How could you not read? It's a big old dude. That's that's a <laughs> that's a football guy right there, Paul Bunyan. He looks like he'd be lining up at defensive end for Michigan.
1: Yeah, I'll also say the Paul Bunyan Axe is another – it's it's a close runner-up. I don't know quite what my trophy rankings are, but the Paul Bunyan Axe is up there as well. It's a fun one.
0: Always good to talk trophies. Maybe we can make that an off-season episode read. Keep that stored oh, in the back it, of your mind. Yeah. I think that's a fun one. I'm here for it. Maybe we can even make a couple trophies of our own. Could be oh, a fun absolutely. little off-season episode. Save it. If you guys want to hear that one, let us know in like May, and we'll make it happen. Reed, one more game here to predict. It's our out-of-conference game of the week. It's your home state, Tennessee Vols, taking on the Kentucky Wildcats. Now, Reed, Tennessee looking like one of the top teams in the country, but they've struggled with Kentucky in years past. Do you think that the Vols get it done against the Wildcats at home? I think yes. Give me Tennessee here, 31-13. to 13.
1: I think yes, and I said this on Twitter in, in response to my friend Denzel, who is a Tennessee fan. I told him cause he said, is Kentucky a serious threat? He had a little Twitter poll. I said, no, in the sense that Kentucky is not even close to the football team that Tennessee is. I think Kentucky is one of the most overrated football teams in the country. I agree. And I think the fact that they're number 19 in the country right now is lunacy. Now I have them, I do have them ranked you know, at 24, but that's really has more, has more to say about the other teams than it does about Kentucky. I don't, think I don't, Kentucky's I don't have
0: them ranked, I believe.
1: And I salute you for that. Cause I don't think Kentucky is that good. And I've stood by that all season. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact the top 10 was, was nuts. They had no business. Being oh, my God, yeah. However, what I did also say in that tweet is that if Tennessee were to lose this game, it would be the most Tennessee thing of all time. And I think Kentucky absolutely can win this game. But I think if Kentucky wins that game, it will be a consequence of the Vols voling as opposed to, uh, you know, Kentucky being good. I don't think that'll happen. I think Tennessee this year is a little bit different than we've seen in Tennessee teams in the past. Uh, I'm going to go give me the Vols 42 to 17.
0: All right. We're 42 to both... 21,
1: actually. 21. 42, all right. 21. It'll be nice to Tennessee continue. defense is a little bit shaky.
0: Give them an extra touchdown. All right. I like it. Reed. Okay. Coming back here after another break, we're joined by Seth Engel to talk about our game of the week, Penn state and Ohio state. Keep it tuned here to the first and 10 for our game of the week after this short break. Back here on the first and 10, ready to get into our game of the week, of course, a big one this week in Pennsylvania, Ohio State, Penn State, the game speaks for itself. We all know the importance of this one of the Big Ten East, not just this year, but every single year. It's a game that means a lot to both teams. It's a game that means a lot to the National College football landscape. And here to break it all down with us, it's a returning guest, somebody who hasn't come on the show in a while, but it's good to bring it back on. You might know him as the Penn State football beat reporter at the Daily Collision, and a former First and 10 guest on various different episodes. He's the one and only Seth Engel. Seth, how are you doing today?
2: Doing great. Yeah, thanks for having me, Pat and Reed. Um, always a pleasure coming on the pod. Yeah, good
0: to be back. Got a lot, got a lot of history together. You know, the First and 10 started at HSJI here at Indiana University, where I am right now. Um, and we met Seth, we met Reed, Griffin, of course, Jack Carlson, lot of a lot of great guys, good memories going back three years ago now, over three years. So, uh, always a great time bringing Seth on the program, especially this season when uh, Penn state has definitely bounced back from, from what I think was a pretty disappointing two years in 2020 and 21, you know, sitting after a really big win in the whiteout, a blowout, one where Sean Clifford looked pretty much as good as he's been in three years, Penn state's trending in the right direction after a disappointing showing at Michigan, Seth. So what's the vibe around the team right now? How are people feeling going into this game?
2: I mean, I think with Penn State right now, it's really just a question of whether it's the team is legit. And, I mean, that was the question going into Michigan, too. And I think that that loss was was a game that, I mean, people are like, okay, well, maybe this team isn't there yet. This team isn't elite, um, as James Franklin wants to be. Maybe not this year, but, I mean, with a win over Ohio State, those, those playoff, you know, hopes kind of come back alive. Absolutely. And, I mean, as hard as that may be to, you know, to beat Ohio State. Penn State always gives them a run for their money. So um, you can't necessarily rule out a victory.
0: No, you can't. This is absolutely a game Penn State can win. And it's a game they can win every single year, at least years that they played at home. And they're at home this year. And they have had a lot of success on their home turf. And you know, some some games better than others. Obviously, most recently, that whiteout game against Minnesota, an absolute blowout. Penn State was firing on all cylinders. So what do you think changed week to week, Seth? You know, you watch this team as close as anybody in the world. What changed week to week from Michigan to Minnesota that, you know, something finally clicked for Penn State, particularly on offense? What changed?
2: I mean, I, I think what it is is it's preparation. Mm-hmm. Um, Penn State typically isn't great off of a bye. Um, and they showed that at Michigan. I mean, it's, it's, it's weird because people ask, well, oh, you had two weeks to prepare for this game. How could you possibly get blown out the way that you did? Um, But I think going into Minnesota, it was really kind of, you know, they returned to their roots where, okay, this team can be competitive with, you know, a great defense, a great big 10 defense. Um, And then I think going into Ohio state, it's really just a question of how much they want it. It's, it's, I mean, it's a game that you have to do everything right in, which is so difficult to do where on both sides of the ball in all like literally everything has to go 100 percent right to beat a team like Ohio mm-hmm. State and a team like Michigan um, and Michigan. They just couldn't even get the ball rolling. So it's really just about, you know, keeping that tempo on offense and and, and keeping that same intensity that they had against Minnesota.
1: Now, Seth, one thing we talked about on our most recent podcast was Sean Clifford and how sometimes he's, he can be inconsistent where he can have great games like he did against Minnesota and poor showings like he did against, let's say Purdue, um, and talking about how you have to have 100%, uh, you know, perfection against Ohio state. Do you think Clifford has that in him?
2: I think he does, but I I wouldn't necessarily put it all on him. I mean, it's, it's a lot of it is the play calling and, and putting the offense in a good position to, uh to make some, to make some things happen specifically using the tight ends more. And, and when you, you, when you, when you use a running play and when you go to the pass, I think Penn state just didn't necessarily do the right things against Michigan. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily put it all on Clifford. Also in the, in the wide receiving core, there hasn't been that kind of one guy like Jahan Dotson or KJ Hamler who, you know, you can rely on pretty much every pass play. Um, so that's, that's been a problem. Um, and then I mean, just these guys don't get open as consistently as as they have in, in years past. And I think that's I mean, that that's hurt Clifford. But I mean, people people were booing Clifford before the whiteout, obviously went on to have one of the best games of his career. Mm-hmm. So I mean, he's he is capable. Um, he has been a college quarterback for six years. Like he he knows he knows what he's doing. He's been in these moments before, he's played Ohio State you know, how many times it's like, he's, he's been, in, in, yeah, exactly. Like he's, <laughs> been in, he's been in so many of these situations where, I mean, this isn't new to him. He, I mean, he doesn't really feel that pressure anymore. So, I mean, that's, that's, that, that that's, that's where I stand on, on Clifford right now.
0: And I think it's, you know, it's interesting. Him. Yeah. L- looking at, you talked about it. He got booed in the first quarter of that game and the whole offense did. They were down three, nothing after the first, they come back and they just, Absolutely, pardon the pun. The Lions roared. They absolutely played, I think, the best offensive football we've seen from them since 2019, since they went to that Cotton Bowl. That, that was a really impressive showing against a great defense. And that brings up this thought for me Ohio State, typically on defense, there's always one area we can point to as this point of weakness and the Achilles heel of an otherwise perfect unit. And typically, for the last three or four years, it's been the linebackers. Ohio State's really struggled in the middle of the field. And I think the recipe to beating them has been beat, beating him in the middle of the field, being able to have a short passing game and, and kind of beat him by death by a thousand cuts, but or getting linebackers switched into one-on-one matchups and letting good receivers absolutely destroy them, which is what Alabama did in that national championship game. A couple of years ago, we saw Devonte Smith going up against tough Borland, which was comedy, but looking at this Ohio state defense right now, we haven't seen that weakness from the linebackers. The linebackers are good, and the defensive backs are good. It's not quite the BIA. Hey! I'm, I, hey, it's not quite the BIA that it has been in, say, 2017, but they're good. They can play competitive, good football. They're not as easily beatable, especially by what I think is a good, not great receiver group for Penn State. And there are some very good players in there. I don't know what the recipe is on offense for Ohio state to be to, for Penn state, excuse me, to beat this Ohio state defense. And I think it's going to be something creative. They're going to have to come up with something because if you want to keep up with Ohio state's offense, that no matter who the opponent is, is going to score a lot of points. You've got to be creative. Well, here's yeah, what I'll say. You. What yeah, I'll say ahead. on
1: that and talking about the Ohio state defense, I think first of all, you know, I think the weak unit on the Ohio State defense this year is not as weak as weak units in the past. Maybe that's a uh, but I idea. yeah. But I do think the weak unit is the defensive backs um, and kind of the secondary as a whole. I will say new defensive coordinator Jim Knowles has completely revamped the way the linebackers and safeties play in this defensive system, and it's a terrific revamp. Um, but I will say that there have been times this season where the corners have gotten burned in situations where they absolutely shouldn't. I think there were a um, lot of
0: moments in that Rutgers game especially.
1: Yeah, but I think when it comes to a recipe to beat Ohio State or to compete with Ohio State, because other than Notre Dame, nobody's really competed with Ohio State. um, I think you have to look at what Notre Dame succeeded in, and that was setting the tempo that they wanted to play. They wanted to slow the game down, and as Seth said earlier, using the tight ends. Tight ends are a big focal point of the Notre Dame offense, and I think that's where they found a little bit of success. So, So I think for Penn State, the key is going to be um, you know, I don't know if Penn State prefers to play up tempo or, or, or low tempo, but I think they need to slow the game down, get Ohio State out of the rhythm because Ohio State likes to move quickly. Um, and I also think that it's going to require tight end usage and composure from Sean Clifford under pressure, because I think this defensive line for Ohio State is phenomenal. I don't think Penn State's going to have much success running the ball. I think it's going to take a lot of I think it's going to take good offensive line play and composure under pressure because I think Clifford is going to be under a lot of pressure in this
2: game. Yeah, so totally. So with Penn State's offense, I mean, the first part of the season, they were running a very slow tempo, um, which I think hurt them in a lot of situations. But then against Minnesota, they changed a lot. They started to speed it up a little bit. They got the tight ends involved, as you mentioned. And I think that's going to be kind of the offensive ideology moving forward, um, especially against, you know, an Ohio State defense that, you know, is is much better on the D-line and then also in the linebacker core. Um So, I mean, like, I don't think Penn State's going to win this game. I mean, I think what it comes down to is whether you're able to compete for four quarters, which is completely different than what they were able to do at Michigan. Um, I I think Sean Clifford's going to be composed. I don't, I I really don't see a problem with that. It's really just the people around him. Um, But yeah, I mean, I agree with you. The, the, The defense is different and that's, Ohio state, as we know, is, is one of the best teams in the country and they are every season, but what's held them back from winning, you know, a national championship in the past few years is their, you know, their inability on defense. I mean, they're just, they're not able to, to compete for a whole season because their defense just hasn't been, you know, among the best in the country, especially last year Um, got beat against Penn state's receivers. I don't see that being as much of an issue this year. Um, So, I mean, that's, that's my take there, but I mean, expect Expect a much higher tempo um, for Penn State on Saturday. Yeah,
1: I, I think um, the idea of playing four quarters is what's going to hurt, hurt Penn State in the long run, and you know, it definitely did against Michigan because, of course, Penn State did not look good on offense to the first half. But you know, a couple bounces went their way, and they win the half. I believe what were they down three, or were they were they winning at the half? I forget what, but it, it was close at the half against at, in that game yeah. uh, the against half, Michigan. It
2: was. It was... Oh, against Michigan, they were up. Did I, yeah, did they I, were up. Did I forget? To, yeah, yeah. okay, yeah, so, so they, they were they up actually, at half against Michigan. I mean, they, they, they scored two touchdowns and had one first down in that first half and, you know, went into the locker room with the lead, which doesn't really make all that much sense. But right. um, it, it was kind of obvious that things were going a certain way and that, you know, there, there was really no shot that they were ever in that game, regardless of what the scoreboard was at the half. Um, to your point, you know, about about scoring enough points – you know, over four quarters, that's where I think Penn state gets tripped up. I mean, Ohio state is a team that averages nearly 50 points a game. People can say whatever they want about their schedule and who they played and all that. But like, that's still ridiculous through seven games. I don't care who you've played. Um, uh, Penn state's defense is competitive, but I mean, if, if you're an offense that's typically scoring 50 or above every game, like, I mean, you're, you're going to get somewhere near there against any defense you play. So, I mean, And I just don't think Penn state necessarily, you know, has that consistently that consistency to, you know, put up 40 points and above every single time they hit the field.
0: Right. And and I'm with you there, but let's say they find a way to do that this week. And I think if they want to win this game, they've got to score 35 at a minimum because Ohio state's going to do that. No matter who they're playing. That's just Mm -hmm. kind of a given when you're dealing with, unless it's Notre Dame
1: where they scored 21
0: week ones, weird for every team in the country. I kind of discount week one games just generally. I mean, Indiana beat Illinois week one and look where we are now. So it's worth saying that week one is where, is where people just kind of get the rust out, but ignoring that game, Ohio state has handled business and run up the score on every team. Is there a magic number for Penn state to get to where if they can hold Ohio state to, let's say 35 or below that mm-hmm. that's, somehow a winnable game or is that even a realistic thing for me to say if that makes sense
2: i mean the magic nine Penn State has to score over 30 i think that's obvious um i think ohio state is going to do that with ease i don't Mm -hmm. see them i don't see this being a notre dame thing where you know they they score under 30 unless it's just an absolute off day which happens. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's college football. That's why you play the games. Absolutely. players, Players have emotions, like things happen, things don't go a certain way. Like that's, it's, it's not uncommon. Penn state had that against Michigan. I mean, it wasn't necessarily like Penn state isn't a competitive team. They just, it just wasn't their day. The, the plays they called didn't work. Whatever they tried to do just wasn't working. That's really the only scenario to me where I could see Ohio state scoring under 30 points this game. Um, So, I mean, that's, I mean, that's my magic number for Penn state and I don't, Mm -hmm. I don't think they will surpass 30, but if they are, you know, going to, going to win, it's going to be, they got to be somewhere in there.
1: I think one thing to consider in this game, if we're making score predictions, which we'll, we'll get into eventually, um, you know, I, I think we have to consider the intangibles because, um, You know, uh, there are, like you said, players have emotions and this is still college football. I think a lot of intangibles kind of fall on Penn State's side because like we said, despite the fact that Ohio State has won, what is it, nine out of the last ten against Penn State, it is, with few exceptions, been close every single game, especially last season. That's again that comes to mind where Ohio State was, you know, the high-powered offense. I believe they were top five in the country at that point. Penn State came in. Uh, I forget if Penn State was ranked or not, but they... They were either in the 20s or they were unranked, and they gave Ohio State a hell of a game in a really good Ohio State environment. Um, It seems like Penn State always inexplicably uh, can give Ohio State trouble. This is also the second road game of the year for Ohio State. And, yes, there there were people going into the Ohio State-Michigan State game saying, oh, I wonder if Ohio State's going to struggle in their first road environment. They didn't. But a road environment against a, I want to say, 2-3 and Michigan State team it's much different than a Penn state team that has one loss uh, that is going to be fired up for this rivalry game. And generally
0: Um, one of the, if not the toughest stadium to play in the entire state.
1: Exactly. And also the fact that Penn state recently got smacked by Michigan, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of wanting to get back on the right foot on their minds. So, uh, and it's also the first time Ohio state has played in a true road environment at Penn state in four years. Cause of course the last time Ohio state went into happy Valley, it was the COVID year. It doesn't really truly count as an away game there. So this is, uh, it's sort of uncharted territory for a Ryan Day, Ohio State team. So I think there are kind of a lot of challenges uh, beyond the X's and O's that Ohio State's going to have to overcome. And I think that could lead to a little bit of early on struggle for the Buckeyes.
2: Right. And that's that's where all this complaining of Ohio State being a noon game ha- has been um, from Penn State fans where they're like, we want to make this the toughest environment possible. Fox obviously isn't allowing that. So, I mean, that 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 you know that, that will contribute the fact that this is at noon and it's not at night in Beaver stadium. Um, But yeah, I mean, like you mentioned last year, I mean, Penn state had dropped Illinois. I mean, they dropped the Iowa game. Then they had the bye week. Then they lost to Illinois at home. And then they went into Ohio state. They were hungry, but I mean, they just, they, they, they lost it in the middle of the season there. So, I mean, that was, it was a much different team than it is right now. I think Penn state lost to Michigan. That was kind of their, Big loss on the year where things didn't go right at all. They came in, they were hungry against Minnesota, killed them. Now they go into Ohio State. They're still super hungry to prove that they're, you know, one of the best teams in the conference.
0: Yeah, and I think there's a reason we haven't talked a ton about this from the Ohio State side, and particularly on the offensive side of the football, because the recipe for them to win this game is to just keep doing what you're doing because it's working. And if Ohio State can play the way they've played for the past, oh, what six, seven games since Notre Dame. Then they'll win the game, period, Um, unless Penn State just plays the most out-of-their-mind, out-of-body football we've ever seen from them, at least in the James Franklin era. I think it would take a really special performance from Penn State to win this game. So let's get into our predictions here. I'll, I'll just start off. I think this is a Penn State team with a lot of heart. I think this is a Penn State team with a lot of talent. But I think it's a Penn State team that still needs some time in the oven. And I think in a year or two, once somebody like Nick Singleton's an upperclassman, Then maybe this Penn State team, particularly at home, and maybe if they can move this to a night environment, I agree with you there, I think that does change things, can knock off a a super talented national title contending Ohio State team. I don't think it's quite ready for that right now, though. So if I had to say, I'm going to say Ohio State 42, Penn State 27
1: read so for me i originally had a, a larger point deficit and i i changed it right before we we started this segment because i, I think, think Ohio competitive state,
0: for about three quarters i I'll definitely think it's going to
1: be a competitive game mm-hmm. i think ohio state is not necessarily going to be firing in all cylinders throughout the entire game i do think ohio state will still get the job done i'm saying ohio state 35 17 just for the simple fact that no matter how long penn state holds out on defense there are just so many weapons and um any position Ohio state can strike. And I think eventually that just overpowers a Penn state team.
2: Yeah. I mean, I agree with both of you. I think they will be competitive through three quarters and, and, you know, to that point, I mean, I, I have Ohio state 38, Penn state 25. I think Penn state will cover the spread. I think there is still hunger lingering from that Michigan game. Mm-hmm. Um, things worked very well against Minnesota, which was a very yeah. good defense. Um and I mean, if they, if they're able to do at least a little bit of what they did, you know, last Saturday, it it should, it should be a close game. With that being said, CJ Stroud is, you know, the best quarterback in the country right now, arguably the best player in the country. That receiving core is unbelievable. The, both of the running backs are unbelievable. Like you said, Pat, I mean, Penn State is not there yet. They're not, they're not a playoff team. They're not a championship contender. Ohio State is. I think one year. Maybe two years. I think 2024, when you have Drew Aller as quarterback, you have Nick Singleton, who's you know a seasoned vet at that point. Abdul Carter, um, also a veteran. Deni Dennis Sutton. I mean, I think that that's maybe a team 2020, that's the timeline. 2024. I'm with you, those, those are those are the years where one James Franklin is you know on the, the hottest seat he's ever been on. Um, but two, I mean, I think it's it's probably their best shot at, at a playoff since you know, Saquon and and Trace McSorley.
0: I think it's absolutely trending that way. The the, the young talent right now on this Penn State team really has shined through seven, eight games, however many it's been so far. And and at a certain point, that can only get you to so far, I, I think. And it's gotten them, I think, about as far as it will. And that's still pretty good. I think they'll finish with nine, maybe 10 wins. Just looking at how the schedule shakes out the rest of the way, I'll call it 10 wins. I'll be nice. But uh, but looking at 24, that feels like the season where, okay, Penn State in a new Big Ten with no divisions and two teams out on the West Coast, that feels like the time to strike. No, yeah, Ohio, State division, no Ohio State in division because there are no divisions, that will change everything for me. Mm-hmm. But that time is not now, and that day is not today. This Saturday we're all in agreement, Ohio State – Gets the job done in Happy Valley. Should be a fun one regardless. Always a game worth watching, worth keeping an eye on across the country. So that'll do it for this episode of the first and 10. Uh, first, let's finish with our shout-outs, closeouts, outs, close outs. Reed, anything you want to shout-out before we go?
1: I'll give a quick shout-out to my English professor. She is out of town and will not be having class tomorrow. So uh, I get the Friday off. Respect to her. And uh, looking forward to an exciting Saturday.
0: Class act. Love to hear that one there. Reed. Seth, uh, before we go, got a shout out and uh anything you want to promote before we hit
2: it. Uh I mean, all our coverage with the collegian is, is great. You can Absolutely, find all our stuff yes. at co- yeah. collegian.psu.edu. Um one and no pod on Twitter. Uh, we just recorded an episode today. And then, you know, my Twitter is sang Tweets for anyone that wants to and he does follow. He does tweet. I do every day. All the time. (laughs) (laughs) We're the
0: same way here. Uh, Only shout out I've got. Shout out to the SMP basketball polls, men's, women's basketball. You can go check those out, studentmediapoll.com. The only two teams I care about, the Indiana men's basketball Hoosiers and women's basketball Hoosiers, are both ranked. Just had to get that in there. I'm predictable. You all know that much. So that'll do it for this week's show. For Reed and Seth, I'm Patrick. Have a great football Saturday, folks, and we'll see you next week. Take care.
1: Bye.